0: Isaiah 57 in verse number 15 is where we'll be tonight. Uh, And as you turn there I'll just let you know that tonight will be a little bit different than the rest of the series and I hope that you will make the commitment to be here for the series. Uh, Everybody that preaches, any preacher that's worth his salt is going to be preaching number one to glorify the Father but also to encourage the brethren and I hope that these uh, messages over the next six weeks will be an encouragement to you. But this first message is going to be very different than the rest and so I might not do a very good job of giving you an appetizer of what is to come. Uh, but it's simply, this is just what the Lord had placed on my heart as far as an introductory, introductory message is concerned. And so it's a little bit different. It's more, uh, more topical and less textual, uh, and less expositional rather. And, and uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing some character studies. And uh, we're going to be looking at a number of different people uh, in the Old and the New Testament. We'll be all over the place kind of. But tonight, just one verse. In in, in Isaiah chapter number 57, we'll read verse number 15, and I will also mention this. I was maybe unintentionally misleading in my advertisement. When I advertised this series, whenever I was either A, talking to you, or you saw in the video announcements, the series is entitled Shattered, Broken People Used by God. And I'd imagine that I want to say probably 100% of us thought of one thing, And that one thing you thought of is actually not what we're going to be covering. But I'm almost glad that I set myself up for failure because now I get to preach this message and take a thinking that you're thinking and maybe dismantle it and build off of the foundation that I'd like to go off of. And so that's all I'm going to say about that until the end of the message. Uh, Isaiah 57 and verse number 15, just one verse, then we'll pray. Uh, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And so just for a few moments tonight, in light of our series and this introductory message, I'd like to talk to you very simply, very practically tonight about this. Detecting brokenness. Detecting brokenness. Uh, Again, my mind went somewhere else, and I would have liked to have preached a message out of 2 Corinthians chapter number 7 tonight, but the Lord wanted me to do this because before we can understand what we're going to go over next week and the weeks to come, we need to learn about detecting brokenness, and you'll find out what that means here in just a moment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's pray for tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd be with me. And thank you so much for uh, this church and and even tonight, even the brief moments that we spent uh, praying over the missionaries and praying over the church planters here in the Washington State area. And, And Lord, just giving you glory about what you're doing in our church through the young people and the songs that we sing. I love our church. I love Wednesday night services. Uh, because it's it's a break from the week to be able to just come and to bring these uh, requests before you and, and give you glory and honor and praise for what you are doing, but then it's also just a moment where we get to open the Word of God and we get to look and just to maybe make some practical application from your Word, and we don't take that for granted. I think of those who are not able to do that, or, or maybe they're able to do that, uh, Lord, but they don't have a, a church like ours where we're able to encourage one another in what we've been taught, Lord, and grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd help us with this series. As we progress through these different characters, even tonight as we build the foundation, I pray that you would help me, give me clarity of thought, that you'd slow my tongue and that I would speak clearly uh, and uh, enunciate my words where people could understand. I don't desire to preach a message that is written tonight, Lord. I I desire to preach your word, and I pray that they would come away from it not enamored by anything that I am saying, but rather convinced of a truth based upon your word. I pray that you'd help us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for reading with me and praying with me. In the first portion of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is uh, testifying to a group of people who have experienced their fair share of difficulty. That's the first portion of Isaiah. Really, the first 39 to 40 chapters of Isaiah is built upon that very premise and that foundation. The nation of Israel is about to go into captivity. And uh, Isaiah knows that the people of God are about to experience great tragedy. Some of them are going to lose their homes. Some of them are going to be separated from their family. Uh, some of them are even going to experience death in bondage. They're never going to make it out of bondage and captivity. And so many of them are going to experience great trial and great difficulty. And as a matter of fact, Isaiah himself, history tells us that Isaiah experiences a martyr's death. Just, just Does anybody remember how Isaiah dies? Anybody? Sawn asunder. How would you like to be sawn asunder? Sawn in half. That's how Isaiah dies. And so Isaiah, uh, from a very uh, uh, solid position, is, is presenting this to the nation of Israel, and he's telling them that they're about to experience great difficulty. In essence, Isaiah is telling the nation of Israel that they are about to experience great pain physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He's telling the nation of Israel, here it is, that their lives are about to be, one word, Shattered. Shattered or broken they're about to be wrecked in modern terms. They're about how many of you ever just heard that about to be, One thing I appreciate about brother chip is he always tried to fit modern sayings into his messages And so I'm gonna try to do that. He was wrecked they're, they're check one So they're about to experience great defeat and he's looking at really the tribe of Judah and the nation of Israel And he's saying you're about to basically lose everything How's that for an introduction? You're going to experience great pain physically, emotionally, spiritually. Your lives are about to be, and we could just sum it up into one word. The first 39 chapters would be this shattered. Shattered. But then we notice a paradigm shift in our text, really after chapter thirty-nine, and and namely chapter number thirty-seven in the last few chapters of the book of Isaiah. It's so controversy, or rather, so different than the first chapters that some contemporary uh, uh, theologians, or rather, scholars, believe that it's not Isaiah that's writing. They believe that there's no way that someone would go from what they're writing in the first thirty-nine chapters to the second because they're just so different. They're so contrasting, Uh, and uh, a shift is so distinct. Again, that they believe that it's not Isaiah. Now we it's Isaiah and I don't believe uh, uh, in that. I believe that it was Isaiah writing but there's a reason for this paradigm shift and this change. Isaiah gives the nation of Israel a word of prophecy and he gives them a word of prophecy about a man that is to come. He gives them a word of prophecy about a man that is to come. And he's not only going to bring restoration for the nation of Israel, but he's going to bring restoration for all mankind. He's going to provide salvation for all mankind. Maybe I'm the only one that's excited about that because I'm excited. He's talking about Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, who's going to come and be born of a virgin and be crucified. And he dies for your sins sitting in the pews of Wooden Valley Baptist Church tonight. That's who Isaiah begins to prophesy. And he's looking and he's saying, man, you're going to experience great difficulty, trials, difficult circumstances, but wait. It gets better because there's coming a day when a man named Jesus Christ, he says the Messiah, is going to come and he's going to provide restoration for all mankind. What a, great, what a great truth. The book of Isaiah ends on such a great note. But I don't want us to get caught up in that. I would love to get caught up in that. And I'd love to begin to preach to you about Jesus Christ. Man, I love preaching on, on the lordship of Jesus Christ and the salvation he provides. But the overriding theme of the book of Isaiah is actually not that at all. The overriding uh, theme of the book of Isaiah, although it ends well, is not hope, but judgment, difficulty, trial. Before we can go and get the hope, we have to experience the hurt, if I could say it that way. Isaiah 57, there are a few things that I'd like us to notice very quickly as we lay the foundation for this series tonight. Number one, in just that one verse, I want you to notice: number one, majesty and mercy. His majesty and his mercy. First, let's talk of His majesty. Look at the beginning of verse number 15. It says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, eternity whose name is holy. His very name is holy. He's talking about God. The, lo- uh, the lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. God is about to give His address now in the next section. Now, I'm not talking about his address as in uh, his proclamation or his, uh, his uh, command. He's giving his address as in right now we are at Wooden Valley Baptist Church, 5400, 228th Street, Southeast, Bothell, Washington. That is our address. God is about to give his address. And here's what he says. I dwell in the high and holy place. I dwell in the high and holy place. Obviously, he's talking about that high and holy place called heaven. Pastor's been preaching, uh, really, the past two weeks on this place called heaven. And it's a great place. It's a magnificent place. Lamar, what's the significance of that? What's the big deal? Obviously, we know that that's where he resides. Do we know that he resides in heaven? Because so often what we do, especially in the modern-day Christian movement, is we have trivialized God's holiness. We have trivialized God's holiness. We've tried to confine Him in our box. And and I hate the slander and I hate the terminology that people use. That's my God. And He is holy and He is exalted above every name because He is holy. He resides there in heaven. It's a physical place that He resides there. Why? Because He is holy. But He doesn't just say where He is locationally. He also says who He's with. He gives a second address. Verse number 15, it says, I dwell in the high and holy place that is heaven. But then He says this, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Again, he gives his first address, that is the high and holy place of heaven. But the second address that God gives is that he inhabits with him there in the high and holy place those that are of a contrite and a humble spirit. And when we consider the word shattered, that's what the title of the series is, shattered. Broken people used by God. When we consider that word shattered, it can be a difficult word to define. Now, the dictionary defines the word as broken into many pieces or damaged and destroyed. That's the literal definition of the word shattered. But when we are using it to describe what I'm talking about, and that is the events of someone's life and maybe their disposition after they've experienced those kind of difficult circumstances, it's not really something that you can uh, describe but rather something you can detect in someone's life. Do you understand what I'm saying? When someone has been through something that is difficult, you can't necessarily get a paper and pen and begin to write how they feel, but you can see exactly on their disposition and their face, hey, that's a broken person. Do you know what I'm talking about? The spirit is broken. It's more of an attitude and a spirit rather than an action. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom in heaven. And then verse 15 of our text in Isaiah 57 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that has inhabited eternity, uh, eternity, eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. We have an Old Testament example and a New Testament example. Two different verses saying the exact same thing in different ways. Poor in spirit in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 3. And then he says contrite and humble spirit in Isaiah 57 in verse 15. And here's how those words can be translated. Those words, poor in spirit, uh, the humble, the contrite, we could interpret it this way. Broken and shattered, crushed. Those are those words, uh, contrite and humble and poor. Matthew 5 and verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And Isaiah 57 says that he who is holy and he dwells in the high and holy place, he dwells with them that are of a contrite and a humble spirit. So based off of those two verses, and I need you to pay attention. I need you to connect the dots here because I can't go any further until we do. Based off of those two verses, we can conclude that the product of brokenness is what? Blessedness. I I, I steal it from Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So the brokenness that you experience, the product of that is what? Blessedness. So we can again deduct that the product of brokenness is blessedness. We could say it a different way. The product of brokenness, this is going to sound so, so, so uh, it doesn't make sense in the world standards. But the product of brokenness, we could say it this way, is joy. Wow. Wow. The product of brokenness is joy. That's the opposite of what the world will tell you. That's what God says in his word right there in Matthew 5 verse 3 and Isaiah 57 in verse number 15. The high and lofty one lives uh, in the high and lofty place inhabits the hearts of the shattered. What joy. Now just don't answer out loud. Just kind of think to yourself. But when I said the word brokenness, or maybe you saw it on the screen. Whenever you think of brokenness, what does the world think of? What does the world think of? Brokenness. They think of shattered. Maybe they conclude that brokenness equals weakness. That is exactly what they would portray to you. That they, and, and I mean, that's the, that's the battle cry of the, of the modern progressive, not Christian movement, but just the watered world movement and the worldview that everybody has is you got to pull yourself by your own bootstraps, be strong, depend upon yourself, speak your truth. Weakness is found in brokenness. So don't be broken. You need to be whole. You need to be unbroken and unshattered. That's the way the world thinks, but that's not the way that God views it. That is not God's perspective. The world sees brokenness as weakness, but God sees brokenness as wholeness and fullness. Why is that? Because not only do we see his majesty in verse 15, but we also see his mercy. His mercy. Why would the high and lofty one himself, who inhabits the high and lofty place, inhabit the hearts of the contrite and the humble? Here it is. Because he's not only majestic, but he's also merciful. That's a characteristic of God. We love to talk about his majesty, but I'm so thankful as a sinner saved by grace because of his mercy. I'm thankful that we also serve a merciful God. In our brokenness, we only get to experience the joy of his majesty because of the magnitude of his mercy. Think about that statement right there. It is such an amazing thing to be able to experience the magnitude of God's majesty... But we cannot experience the fullness of His majesty without first experiencing the fullness of His mercy. So we don't only see the majesty and the mercy very simply. Number two, we see brokenness and unbrokenness. Brokenness and unbrokenness. Every one of us fall into one of those two categories. You are either broken or you are unbroken. Now I asked just a moment ago what the world thinks of brokenness. But you know what the church, we also are guilty of thinking some of the same things in regards to that word brokenness and shatteredness. We kind of are along the same mindset as the world in that brokenness is weakness. And we experience that maybe on a Sunday morning whenever we walk into Wooden Valley Baptist Church and those who are sinners act like they are not. Maybe you put on a suit and a tie and maybe a, I mean you're pressed and you walk in smiling with your kids and everybody's well behaved and we try to portray something that we are not and that is we got it all put together. I got it all put together, and, and the world likes to, to reprimand us for that, and we like to say, oh, oh, yeah, the church is full of uh, not full of hypocrites. Yes, it actually is full of hypocrites. You're looking at one, and I'm looking at several. We are hypocritical. Why? Because we like to put on the facade. We've got it all put together. We view brokenness as weakness. That's exactly how we view it, even as a church. God is looking to inhabit those of us who will say, actually, I don't have it all put together. Actually, I am broken. I don't have it all figured out. And I want to make sure that I draw this distinction. There is a difference between what I'm talking about, brokenness, and defeated spirit. Okay, I'm not talking about having a, dispe- a defeated spirit where you are either wallowing be- in your pain because of circumstances or maybe you're wallowing in guilt because of your sin. Hey, it's all under the blood. Aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all, un- uh, all of our sin and unrighteousness? I'm not talking about having a defeated spirit. I'm talking about having a broken spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The spirit of brokenness that Isaiah is talking about here is not the spirit of defeat. Here it is. It is the spirit of humility and self-awareness because of our sin. Did you hear me? He's not talking about a defeated spirit. He's talking about a spirit of humility and self-awareness because I know who I am. I know my shortcomings. I know my infirmities. I know my sin. Here are a few examples that we could look at in Scripture. you got Saul and David. Saul and David, and I won't, I won't labor long on this, but in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse number 24, we see Saul is coming to the end of his reign as king over Israel. and verse number 24, it says this, And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people of uh, a people and obeyed their voices. Skip down to verse 30, it says, Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people. And uh, before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. You say, Lamar, wow, what a broken spirit that Saul must have had. He got it right at the end of his life, and his spirit was broken, and he was made whole. Listen, Saul was no more concerned about his sin than he was concerned about his reputation and his legacy that he would live behind with the elders of Israel. That's exactly what he was telling Samuel. He says in verse number 30, he says, Then he said, I have sinned. What a great statement. But he follows it by saying this, Yet honor me now. Yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. When confronted with his sin, Saul was worried more about saving face. He was worried about his reputation. Saul was, uh, uh, he was not broken. He was not humbled. He was not a contrite, of the contrite spirit What about David, though? I mean, humanly speaking, we can compare the two kings, and you know what? Humanly speaking, the sin of David, I said humanly speaking, the sin of David was probably greater than Saul's. I mean, we know the story. He comes and he sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof. And he desires to be with her intimately. And so he is with her intimately. She's great with child. He realizes that she's great with child. And then he tries to cover up his sin by sending Uriah to the front lines of battle, a suicide mission. And he has Uriah killed in battle. And I love the story. I love exactly how it unfolds, the beauty of the scriptures and how Nathan the prophet comes and he points the finger in, and actually he doesn't point the finger in, in, uh, in, the, in the face of David quite yet. He comes and he really gives kind of like a false narrative and he says, I want to tell you about a story about something that happened in the kingdom. There was a man and he had a sheep and that's all he had was this sheep. And there was another man who had a lot more than a sheep. He was throwing a party on the top of a hill and he wanted, some, uh, he wanted to provide meat uh, for his party. So he went and he stole the sheep from the man who had nothing. Slaughtered the sheep so that he could provide for his guests. And David becomes wroth and he's upset. And he says, you know what? We need to punish this man. This man needs to, he needs to experience the full force of the law. Matter of fact, he needs to be put to death. And I want you to look at the contrast really quickly. We saw, here's, here's, here's the response of Saul when he's confronted with his sin. I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and thy word. Why? Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Doesn't even take ownership for his sin. But then, Nathan looks at the face of David in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 7 and he says, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I anointed thee king over Israel and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Skip down to verse number 13. And David said unto Nathan something similar. I have sinned against the Lord. Psalm 51 and verse number 3 gives us more of an insight on David's response internally. He says this, For I acknowledge... What's, is, that, is it up there? For I acknowledge what? My transgressions. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Takes full ownership and says it's all me. It's all me. It's not anybody else's fault. He doesn't blame anybody else. He takes ownership for his sin and then look what he says in verse number 17. The sacrifices of God... Are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. Sounds an awful lot like Isaiah 57 in verse number 15. A broken and a contrite spirit, O God, thou wilt not despise. We won't turn there, but Luke 7 gives us another example. Luke 7, there's a couple of New Testament uh, references I'd like us to look at. We've got the woman with the alabaster box and the Pharisee, Simon. I love the song that Miss Ashley sings, Alabaster Box. It's one of my favorite songs that, in general, but especially the ones that she sings. How many of you heard her sing it just a couple of weeks ago? And the message and the richness of that song. This woman in Luke 7, she, all the Bible says of her is that she was a sinner. It doesn't say her name or anything else about her other than she's a sinner. And she experiences, she experiences renewal because of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is invited to this, uh, this feast by Simon the Pharisee. And she shows up at this feast, and we know the story. She breaks her alabaster box, and she begins to pour the ointment over the feet of Jesus. And she washes the feet of Jesus with her tears and with her hair, the Bible says. And the only thing, uh, the only thing broken was not just the alabaster box, but it was her spirit. Why? Because she knew who she was. She rather knew who she was down here, but knew who he was. But then the Bible says that Simon the Pharisee, the one who invited Jesus to this, this feast, very different spirit. Doesn't even speak out loud, but speaks within himself. And he says, man, if Jesus knew who she was, he would not be letting her do what she's doing. He would not be fellowshipping with, with this lady that is, has that is, this, this reputation as a sinner. Contrast, broken and unbroken. Another example would be the prodigal son. And the prodigal son's brother in Luke chapter 15. Again, we know the story, but the prodigal son, he goes and he spends all of his inheritance. The Bible says that he is eating the slop of the pigs. And he comes to himself and realizes that they've got it better in the servants' quarters at my father's house than I do right now. So I love the story. He returns and all he wants to do is be a servant. And the Bible says that the father runs to the son, embraces the son, puts a ring on his finger... Kills the fatted calf, puts a robe, and he throws a party because the son's returned. Brother Chip preached a great message just a few months ago on how that passage actually has less to do with the prodigal son and more to do with the spirit of the prodigal son's brother. Why? Because he witnesses the redemption that his brother is able to experience, and rather than being excited that his brother's come home, what is he? Unbroken. I didn't leave. I haven't spent my inheritance. I've been here the entire time. Brokenness, unbrokenness. We'll we'll, uh, close the the, uh, examples with this example in Luke 18. We've got the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says that there's two men that approach the temple and they go and they bend the knee and begin to pray very different prayers. The publican, what does he say? He cries out and he says, be merciful unto me, a sinner. But then the Bible says that the Pharisee is also kneeling and he's also praying, but what does he say? He says, thank the Lord I'm not like this publican that's next to me. I fast several times a day, and he begins to give all of his reputation. He, gives, he begins to give his credentials and his rap sheet, broken and unbroken. Verse eighteen, of verse 14 of that chapter says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that, is, uh, he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. David was broken. Saul was unbroken. The woman was broken, Simon was unbroken. The prodigal was broken, his brother was unbroken. The, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the publican was broken and the Pharisee was unbroken. You see the contrast between a spirit that is broken and a spirit that is unbroken. Listen, God is not interested in your list of qualifications and credentials. God is not interested in your rap sheet. God is not interested in what you think you have to offer. All he wants is two things, brokenness and humility. He wants brokenness and humility. We see his majesty and mercy and then his brokenness, or the brokenness and unbrokenness. And lastly tonight, very quickly, I'd like us to see simply this. Cooperation or resistance. Cooperation or resistance. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter number 5. And as you turn there, I think that when we think of of cooperation and resistance, when we think of humility, none of us think of Peter. (laughs) At least I wouldn't think that any of us would think of Peter. Peter led the charge at the table. When Jesus says, someone's going to deny me, Peter stands up and speaks out of term and he says, I will never deny thee. And all the disciples cheer in agreement. I will never deny thee. He was one of the privileged few that got to see uh, uh, the experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. As, as God fills, fills the place and he looks and verbally says to his son, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God should have had the mic, but who was talking? Peter. It's good for us to be here. It's good. Let's build some tabernacles. Man, this is great. Peter's constantly speaking out of term. Why? Unbroken. All about Peter. Peter had a spirit of unbrokenness. Uh, again, if we were to put a stamp on the life of Peter, I think it would, in his early ministry, in his early years, it would be that unbroken. But do you notice the contrast and the beginning in his youthful stage in the life of Peter and then the contrast at the end of his life? 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 5, he says this. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with, what's that next word? Humility. Read it again. Humility. 100% participation. Ready? Read it. Humility. Humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the, read it with me, humble. Humble yourselves therefore unto the mighty hand of God that ye may exalt excuse me that he may exalt you in due time casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Humble yourselves. Peter knew a thing or two about being humbled and humbling yourself. Because there is quite a difference. Maybe you didn't catch it, but there is a difference between being humbled and being humble. And Peter understood what it meant to be humbled before God. But whose responsibility does that verse, verse number six, whose whose responsibility does it fall on to humble? Yourself. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Again, Peter knew firsthand what it felt like to be humbled, and he's pleading with everybody that is listening in 1 Peter 5, hey, humble yourselves and let Christ exalt you in his due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Peter knew firsthand what that resistance felt like. He knew what it meant to be prideful and arrogant and to experience the resistance, that relationship of resistance that you ought to have closeness with. Why? Because of his arrogance and pride. Why? Because God is not interested in your credentials, Peter. He wants your humility and he wants your contriteness and he wants wants you to be humble. So over the next several weeks, Over the next several weeks, we're going to see that God is willing to use whatever means necessary to bring us to that place of shatteredness and brokenness. And I'm going to come back to what I said at the very beginning. Maybe your perception was, going into this series, that Lamar is going to preach a series on how God can use those who are broken. And he can. But the truth is, God can only use those that are broken. Did you hear me? Maybe you came into it thinking that I'm going to go and I'm going to look at all the different broken people that we're going to record over the next several weeks and how God still used them. But actually what I want you to get, if you get nothing outside of the series, get this. God only uses those that are broken. He only uses those who are of a meek and a contrite spirit. If you come and you're you're here today and you say, no, I'm not broken, I'm fixed. God can't use you. You have to come to that point in your life where you realize I don't have it all put together. I am broken, I am shattered. And it is at that point I'm excited to preach. We're going to be looking at the the life of Paul. We're going to be looking at the life of, uh, uh, obviously, uh, the life of Job, Jacob, Isaiah. There's several that we're going to record uh, in, in just a couple of weeks. Actually, I almost preached this message tonight. Have you come to the end of your rope? That's a great place to be. God can only use those who are broken and shattered. We'll close with this, and this is what I've deemed the theme verse ...for this series as we progress through these next several weeks. And again, I almost preached this message tonight, but God had other plans. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9. We know the verse, you don't have to turn there, but Paul says this. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness... Then he says something that sounds so contrary to the world. He says, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wow. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul was a Pharisee. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but Paul was a Pharisee. Paul had all of his ducks in a row. Paul had a rap sheet. He had a checklist. He had all these credentials that he was bringing before God and thinking that he was unbroken. And that's exactly what he was. Looking at the life of someone like Stephen and saying, man, this poor guy, probably just like the publican in the center, uh, the publican and the Pharisee that we read about in, in Luke 18. I'm sure I'm glad I'm not like, uh, I'm not like uh, Stephen. But then Paul came to a realization through a series of unfortunate uh, circumstances in his life that God brought about where he realized, oh wait, I need to be broken in order for God to use me. Because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. So I'm going to glory in my infirmities. Why? Because that's where God gets the glory, that the power of God, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So let me ask this question tonight. How many of you want to be used by God? I should have 100% hands, right? How many of you want to be used by God? God only uses those who are shattered to accomplish his will. God only uses those who don't have it all put together to accomplish his will. And so for the next couple of weeks, I'd like you to go with me as we look through some of the lives of some of these people that I just highlighted of what God used to break them so that he could use them. And so that's my heart tonight, and I hope that that's your heart. Pray, and we're going to pray here in just a moment. Pray this way. God, if I'm not broken, break me. If I'm not humble, humble me. If I'm not contrite, help me to have a humble and a contrite spirit so that I can be used by you. Because God only uses those that are broken.